listened to in the deep 70s, in fact so popular you could not get away from it. If you weren't listening to the cricket painting the fence, you'd be listening to Glen Campbell on the radio. Go around to the grandparents, there'd always be two records, Glen Campbell and Demis Rousos. And on this day in 1975, this song here was number one in the US. His first number one after 13 top 40 hits, but such an evergreen song, isn't it Peter? I hope you weren't playing that in my, in my honour. <laughs> uh, Are you a lover please. or a hater, yeah, Peter? Yeah, well, something from Fiji. <laughs> that's right. I, an absolute hater of that song. But Glenn Campbell, yeah, um, Gentle on My Mind, actually written by John Hartford. Uh, he has other songs that, that are really quite good. Um, and he was a great guitarist. But oh, no, that song what? was a, a rhinestone piece of crap. <laughs> That is so sad to hear you say that. A rhinestone piece of crap. Well, hearing that, we had a guest just jump into the Auckland studio, Jeremy Ansel. Kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora. Um, I was five years old when that song was, it was a hit. Huge Glen Campbell fan. Yeah. I got the record for my sixth birthday the next year. On the back, it, it had a, uh, uh, an address for the Glen Campbell fan club. So I wrote in on pencil on paper that really couldn't handle pencil, sent it into the Glen Campbell fan club, got a letter back. It was signed, Love and Sunshine, Glen Campbell. I've still got the letter, still got my records, still play them. You're a star. Thank you. <laughs> isn't it, isn't that song about struggle and how artists struggle to find fame and well, Jeremy would know. when they get there? I don't there. know. I I just know he said. I uh, love him. Getting cards and letters from people I don't too. even know. Yeah, forget, I love him forget too. Peter. Wallace, so there and, you go. And what about what? What's the song where someone's up a power pole and they're trying to fix the Which power pole? Yeah. Oh, just can't be there. Yeah. It's it's. I, I cry. Okay. Yes, that's right. I might play tomorrow. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, it is uh, twenty-four away from five. Uh, there you go. He's that's my the, brother. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Uh, and look, thank you so much for your dad jokes. We talked, if you didn't catch it, 3.45. By the way, the show is on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, or RNZ app. We talked about the power of humour and the power of particularly the dad joke. Here's another one. <laughs> Michael asks, Wallace, how do ghosts stay in shape? They exorcise. <laughs> Wallace, Wallace, there's there's a there's a young dad on Instagram. Um, I don't know if you follow him or not on on being dad or doing dad. You know, he's a little boy. He's just amazing. I I can't stop watching him. Yeah. (laughs) All right. The panel: Peter Field, Nalini Brook this afternoon. Now, if you have an electric vehicle. EV, do you have range anxiety? You're an hour out of town and the two charges are taken. The other one has the wrong plug. Well, National Party leader Christopher Luxon has promised 
10,000 EV charges by 2030 if elected. New Zealand is the worst in the OECD in this area, Luxon said, saying at present the country only has one public charger per 95 vehicles, where in the UK there's one public charger for 20 EVs. The cost... $257 $257 million. With us, Richard Edwards, Managing Editor of EV and Beyond. Kia ora, Richard. Kia ora. So, a building 10,000 EV charges, 10 times more than what currently exists. What do you think? Oh, look, any uh, enhancement to the infrastructure we've got out there is, is great, I think, for uh, EVs throughout there. I, I kind of struggle with the comparison with uh, other countries in regards to our number of charges because the one thing we have that they don't in a lot of those countries we're comparing to is driveways and garages and for most people charging your EV at home is is the best way to operate it gives you the best experience but look an extra um, I think uh, uh, nine I think it's actually about 8,800 charging they're going to add to the system I think that's a, a great move. Nonetheless there is I mean there is real talk if you do own an electric vehicle if you go say from I don't know to Hamilton and you have one stop the chances are that those three charges in between they'll be all taken up. Um, there's a lot of talk about that um, and I do a lot of road trips uh, in electric vehicles and I just don't think it's that bad um, okay. and I've, I've travelled on busy times it's, it's actually not that bad but the reality is we're going to see these numbers grow so we're not so much I think installing for what's there now we're stall- installing for what's going to come in the future and we will need these charges in the long run but I don't think this entire this entire 10,000 unit of charges are going to be ones for those road trip ones the ones by the service stations or uh, or in the middle of uh the middle of nowhere. Mm. I think a lot of these are going to be you know, slower ones and more car parks and various other things. It's going to be a mix of infrastructure to get installed. Oh, okay. Yeah, Peter. Yes, well, um, look, the United, New Zealand government is, what, uh, giving $7,000 plus, almost $8,000 to anyone who wants to buy an electrical electric vehicle. So if the New Zealand government is putting its money toward buying them, then we best have the infrastructure to support them. Well, the hook and the tail of this is that uh, when this policy comes in, National will be killing that system that gives uh, people rebates on new electric vehicles and used to electric vehicles for that matter. So we get the charges, but they're going to take away the incentive on the vehicles. Yeah, so what of that? The hmm. so-named Ute tax to be axed, you know, it's the clean car discount, and that, for those who don't know, that subsidises EV purchases by taxing polluting cars. Uh, it's been... I understand, quite successful at driving uptake of EVs, but the tax component has been a little bit unpopular. What do you think? Keep it or exit? Uh, look, I think the system itself is not necessarily at fault. I think if it had been run properly from the start, it would have been a lot more successful in the longer term. But uh, previous Minister Wood uh, delayed and delayed uh, updating it. It was supposed to be updated more regularly, so we ended up with a big jump in the, in the fees and a reduction in the rebates. Uh, and again, that would have to happen again if it stayed. So rather than this nice gradual transition, it's jumped. It's been incredibly uh, destructive and damaging to the vehicle market. Um, but it has got a lot of EVs on the road. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a, an issue there. Um, it being gone, the industry, I think, is... is and in some places, sad to see it go, and in some places, uh, happy that at least we now have a line in the gra- in the sand, and they know what they yeah. uh, need to plan for. Now, I, think, I think there'll be a lot of electric vehicles uh, being sold between now and uh, December thirty first, uh, assuming National gets into power. Richard, hi, Nalini here. Um, um, I'm too old to jump on any bandwagons anymore. I, I I decided with this issue, you'd really need to go back to the start, which is. 
yes, we, we, we incentivized purchase, but we didn't, it didn't seem like we thought enough about the charges. Have we actually now thought about whether we've got electricity supply in this country to be able to have the sort of investment National is now promising? Have we got the roads for what is most likely going to lead to more cars on those, on those roads? And just for a moment, why not hybrids? Why are we so passionate about doing away with the fuel cars, replacing them with electricity and not looking at anything in the middle? Well, there's a, few, there's a few things there. Firstly, in regards to uh, being too old to jump on the bandwagon, interestingly, when, interestingly, when electric vehicles first started arriving in New Zealand, it was senior citizens who were first into it and really smart about it because they generally had more capital to use on this kind of thing, and they were a lot more aware of the ongoing running cost of the vehicles, so they were actually a big part of the early rollout. In regards to electricity... And can we afford it, probably? Have, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. They can afford it to start, but they realise the savings that can be made at the time. Um, in regards to electricity, we generate plenty of electricity in New Zealand and we have lots of permitted stuff, permitted stuff coming through. Part of National's policy announcement is they will actually uh, make changes to the uh, resource management map to make it even easier to get that uh, capacity up and, uh, up and running. A bigger issue is actually transmission and we need some reasonably sizable upgrades to the transmission network uh, in the long run. But that's not just an EV issue, that's a broader electrical network issue. Now, hybrids Hybrids are great, and they've played a big role in uh, uh, decarbonising New Zealand's transport. There's some, some great hybrid vehicles on the road, very popular. But as we go on, even that internationally, the shift is happening now in other countries, Europe and America, away from hybrid and onto electric. Uh, so the reality is in the longer run, we may not necessarily even have many choices in that area to uh, to okay. take. We will have to go electric eventually because that's the way the world is going and, and we're at the end of a very long chat. Hey, around the panel, I haven't asked. Uh, I mean, Peter, are you uh, a fan of EVs? Do you not care? Do you, are you thinking of getting one? Have you thought about it? Have you test-driven one? Well, I, I, I walk to work and I try not to think right. too much about, about driving anyway, most of the time. Yeah. But I am very curious to know how much and how quickly... Uh, the cost of electric vehicles are coming down. Um, if they're yeah. coming down very, very fast, then my sense is that almost everyone will start to move toward these. And as they move, maybe the prices will come down yeah. as much as flat-screen TVs came down suddenly in the 1990s and into the 2000s. Yeah, they're coming down very quickly. I remember a few years back, the only EVs you could buy were Teslas for $150,000. Uh, you can now uh, go out and buy a, uh, we've got an example, an MG4 that has a, it's a good family size hatchback, really good range. It'll be well over 300 kilometres uh, on a charge, uh, lots of safety features, and that retails for about $46,000. So under $40,000 with the rebate currently in place, um, which some people go, that's a lot of money, but um, that's actually at the very much at the lower end of the New Zealand new car market. And a lot of people say, well, I don't buy new cars. Well, about half the New Zealand car market is freshly imported brand new cars. And today's new car is tomorrow's used car. So uh, ah. these things will get into the market and get cheaper as they uh, spread out and we get more volume. Well, very good to have you on the program. Well, nice. Kia ora. So, yeah. uh, that's Richard Edwards, Managing Editor of EV and Beyond. Yes, Nalini. I was just going to say, just on the subject of panellists' choice, for me, either it's electricity or fuel, we're still going to have to rely on fossil fuel. My concern with electric vehicles at the moment is both ends from manufacture to what we're going to do with the batteries in the future is going to affect the, the environment. So I'm not so hot on the idea at the moment. But one thing I am very hot on, and that is 
a progressive society, a society that's actually going somewhere, is one that has a public transport system that everyone takes, not where just the the, the rich can afford to have nice vehicles. Okay. Nice one, uh, Nalini and Peter. 15 away from 5, the panel, uh, NZ National. Coastal erosion, flooding, liquefaction, lots and lots of rain. The South Dunedin Basin, home to 13,000 people, a suburb under siege, with the potential, it seems, to come under public ownership. The Dunedin City Council is asking for the government's help in rolling out a multi-million dollar buyout scheme. They could see the council acquiring homes as early as next year. So it's a voluntary retreat according to Jonathan Rowe, Program Manager uh, for South Dunedin Future. Jonathan, kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Very interesting subject, this one. An historic part of uh, Dunedin, part of the country. I know it very, very well. Built on, I think, a, a marshlands. Um, lots of people live, live there. Um, this is quite an issue in Dunedin, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we had a big flood back in 2015. Yeah. Um, caused lots of damage lots of trauma to the community and since then we've been looking you know really closely at how do you not just tackle short-term issues with the flooding but what's the kind of long-term future of this place um, out to the end of the century and beyond. So this could happen as early as next year. How would it start? You phone up a resident saying you're the first in line, um, we're, we'll buy you out and the house sits there maybe to be rented in the near future. Sure, I guess if you look at what's happened up north earlier this year, Auckland, Hawke's Bay, Tairawhiti, you have these big events, this massive shock and trauma, um, and now you've got ratepayers and taxpayers sort of having to buy up um, properties, that some of which have got silt up to the gutters, you know, they've got no economic value. There's talk of insurance and finance withdrawal. We sort of looked at this and thought there's got to be a better way. Um, so what, what we're looking at is, could you get ahead of that? Um, how do you get ahead of the game? Could you do all this in a voluntary sense and not force anyone out? No red stickers, no red signs. Do everything on the open market. It's voluntary. People sell when they want to sell. Um, and you do this incrementally over time. So you're not responding to this big shock or a big event. You're actually just building this portfolio up slowly. And, yeah, in the meantime, you can you could rent those properties. They've got some economic value. It might um, They might um, pay off some of that initial investment. And then as and when you need them, you, you free up that land for... Um, you know, anything. The notion pipe. of voluntary retreat in South Dunedin. Peter, what questions do you have? Well, I mean, voluntary retreat, it'll be involuntary, right, if it's uh, storm-related. Um, so, I mean, we can't have it both ways. People get all up in arms because the government wants to ask them to leave. Well, they won't have a choice if the environment is making them leave. So, I think that it's two sides of the same coin. So, I think we probably not get too excited about it. Uh, we expect the government with eminent domain to be forward-looking. Jonathan, stay there. Nalini? Oh, hi. Um, the South Dunedin Action Group have made some good points as well. They're, they're saying, should we invest in, say, for example, um, engineering solutions rather than do a buyback? Um, what do you think of that, Jonathan? Uh, I agree. I mean, and I think that the point with this is we need to do all of these things. It's not going to be one thing we build or do that's going to solve this problem. Mm. So we will need to build some infrastructure, reduce short-term flood risk, help kind of manage that. But then we need to also look at other things around, you know, nature-based solutions, parks that flood mm. when it floods, 
um, daylighting streams, um, wetlands and the like. So there's lots of different options and it's probably going to need a combination to, to kind of get it right in South Bay. Have you, do you, are you confident, Jonathan, that you've brought the people along for the conversation? Because this is, mm. I've got to be honest, it would come as quite a shock <laughs> if you're a long-time South Dunedin resident to hear all of a sudden this notion of voluntary retreat. Sure. We've been having lots of conversations with the community over the last sort of three or four years. Um, that, that's going really well, and, and um, we've got more coming coming up in the future. And this is this is a long term conversation, so you know we don't expect to have all of the answers right now. It's always a bit of a tricky balance around how long you take to work up an idea and how early you, you talk to the community yeah. on that. Um, and you know, inevitably, some people are going to want to hear early, and others are going to want you to develop it fully and have all the answers. Well, very good to have you on the program, Jonathan, and all the very best. Great. Thanks for having me. Jonathan Rowe there, yeah, Program Managing Director of South Dunedin Future. And look, if you are from South Dunedin, if you live there and you listen to the panel right now, why don't you email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. We might come back to it and see what uh, you think of it. Meanwhile, well, yeah, it's, yep, yep, well, it's, just, it's sort of putting councils on notice as well, isn't it? I mean, we had all the liquefaction in Kaipoi when Christchurch earthquake happened, and it brought to attention... How are we issuing these permits? Should we be allowing these houses to be built in areas that we know we're going to have issues with in the future because they were either wetlands or sand once upon a time? Well, that indeed is uh, part of the questions, aren't mm. they? Uh, what do you like about New Zealand? What, what's just one thing uh, that young American who was travelling said, great coffee. The panel. And, uh, thank you, Nalini. Uh, great gardening in New Zealand put in the fronds, mm. they grow flowers and fruits, very few pests, says Dave and Pukakoi. Uh I'm lucky enough to live in Nelson. The best thing about living here is the beautiful beaches, clear freshwater rivers, the mountains of skiing, and the boutique beer industry, and the people who are always, always ready to lend a hand and say good day. Mm. Um, another one here. I love our national sporting teams, our endurance and adversity, helping hands, volunteers in a crisis, don't have to pay to park at the beach, our unique birds and carpety ice creams. And, oh, Robin, thank you. Wallace, what I love about New Zealand is RNZ. That's right, including you your program. There's a genuine audience for good, entertaining radio. And I didn't even write that myself. <laughs> you didn't even hear a laugh track. That wasn't a dad joke. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> What's your favourite dad joke, Wallace? I'll tell you at the end of the show. Oh, goody. It's very good. Oh, good. <laughs> and it's that time of year again. Oh, dear, I was 10 most beautiful towns and cities have been revealed. That's according to Keep New Zealand Beautiful Anyway, the Sustainability Awards running since 1972. You might know the poster. Yesterday, we talked to 15-time winner Fielding. Today, we are going to the great but rather small town of Awanui, a historical river port in the far north with a population of around 300, battling out for the top prize in the tiny town category. And with us is none other than Felicity Foy, the far north district councillor. Welcome, Felicity. Kia ora. You must be pretty chuffed. Congratulations. Tell us about this local experiment and working group. 
Yes, I'm very proud of Awanoi, but also of our working group and the local community and volunteers that have made this a reality today. A tiny town. Uh, we may be small, but gosh, watch <laughs> out building. Here we come. Well, you know, I'm going to be honest. You make fielding look like New York. You're, t- <laughs> you're, you're very small. Well, in terms of the size of the town, we're in a key location, the intersection between State Highway 1, the straight run right through Te Rerenawairua, Cape Dunga, and State Highway 10, which is our only route north because Mangamukas is close. So, gosh, Awanui is busy. Have you ever been, Peter? Uh, no, actually, I've never been north of Auckland, unfortunately. So I apologize for that, District Councillor, straight away. Oh, well, you're missing out. 20 beaches within 20 minutes, all from Awanui there, the centre of the universe. 20 beaches within 20 minutes? Yes. Uh, wow. If you look at our coastline there, we've got actually our large 90-mile beach, Te Unuiroa Tohe, and uh, our name. T- our working group is the Te Kuoteka Open Spaces Revitalisation Group. It may be a mouthful, but it represents that we are the tail of the fish. Well, how about this? South Dunedin can move and join you. That would be just great. That would be perfect. Well, Dunedin's got good surf, and so do we. <laughs> hey, Nalini, have you been to the wonderful town, the historical small town of Awanui? I, I'm sure I have because uh, a couple of years ago, my husband and I took two weeks out and we drove all the way to Cape Reinga and back. Um, because we'd not done it. And I tell you what, it is most certainly a piece of paradise up there. Mm. So uh, would I have gone through Awanui? Yes, you can't miss it. There uh, you go. People I know. I the remember Bay of Lee. usually. I remember Lee, and it's a beautiful town as well. Lovely fish comes from there. Yeah. There's something actually quite special. One of the reasons why I raised it was, you know, we can all often be quite, uh, whether it be Auckland-centric or Wellington-Christchurch-centric, we focus on the big big cities, don't we? But there's such beauty. There is such life. There are other characters. Mm. It's, it's, it's the, in many ways, the small towns, the likes of Awanu, Fielding, the engine room of the country, aren't they, Felicity? Mm. Yes, and I think the key thing for Awanui is our stories. Our iwi naitokoto are a key part of our township there and a key part of telling those stories of the now streetscape. Mm-hmm. And with the boats, historically, they actually came up right into the centre of the town. So boating is a key part of that. And we still have a huge number of wharfs. And we may have the 20 beaches within 20 minutes, but we also have a large number of harbours. The Rangunu Harbour comes straight through and interconnects with Awanui via the Awanui River. Best cafe ever in Awanui, says the listener. Mm-hmm. Yum Home Baking and Great Valley by the Riverty. That's there's a there's a bit of a plug for your town, uh, Felicity. Yes, you can't miss it. Uh, that's the Baker Man Cafe, and gosh, it's so busy. <laughs> we even, as part of our project, made a new car park because it was so busy and causing congestion on the state highway. And we work with NZTA Waka Kotahi to make that happen on their land as part of their designation. Okay, so finally, for those who haven't been, um, give us one or two things to do in Awanui, the far, far north. Oh, we've already talked about our cafe. You can't miss that. But we now have our new Kauri, which is the Kauri Kingdom. Uh, Wonderful. We have 
a huge number of gum fields up here. I don't know if you've ever been gum digging, but we have got a lot of Croatians from this area, and they were original gum diggers. So that's a big part of visiting, yeah. and we those koldi logs are thousands of years old. They tell many stories, much like our Iwi Naitakator. We've got the re- revitalised Awanu Hotel, and that's got excellent stone grills there, so you can't miss that in the main street. Uh, but do visit the key uh, green space there, and you'll see lit up at night all of our LEDs, and they change colour to represent love different it. events in the oh, town. I love a good light show. I'm already there. Hey, Felicity, <laughs> I might even try and uh, get there in summer with the Fano. It sounds fantastic for now. All the best. Thank you very much. And you've been waiting for it. You wanted to know my favourite dad joke, so here it is. We've been talking about humour this afternoon. Okay, here it is. What is Robinson Crusoe's favourite colour? Maroon. Oh, boy. I'm waiting for mum jokes one day. Very good, Nalini. We will have them. Nalini Baruch, Peter Field, you've been wonderful. I'm Wallace Chapman back. Thank you, Wallace. Tomorrow, 3.45. Lisa Owen, the checkpoint is next.